The definition of despair is the complete loss and absence of hope. Maybe you feel despair this morning. Maybe despair has been an all too familiar companion in this life. Maybe you feel tempted to despair over financial difficulties and struggles that you can't quite seem to overcome. Maybe you feel tempted to despair uh, over the, the things that haunt you from your past or maybe even your present clouding your view of your future. Maybe despair weighs you down because death is close. Maybe yours or someone you love. If despair is too familiar a feel for you, then I hope that you will gain some hope this morning and this week as we take into account the person and work of Jesus Christ fulfilling God's purposes and promises for history and for his people. That despair would, would dissipate and fade as the sun of God's grace and mercy rises brightly in your heart and soul. There are many things in our lives that cause us to feel despair. And many times those things are the things that lurk and linger around in our own hearts. And so we're going to consider this week what it means to be forgiven. What it means to experience the tender mercy of God. We're going to do that by considering the person and work of Christ, but we're going to go back before his arrival to Jerusalem that final week that led to his betrayal, led to the cross, led to the tomb, led to the resurrection. We're going to go way back to the very beginning towards his birth this morning. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. We're going to consider verses 76 through 79 as it's a song, if you will, of a man named Zechariah. He was the father of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, as many of you know, was a precursor, a a warm-up of the heart, if you will, for the people of God before Jesus Christ's public ministry. He called people to repent of their sins, to turn to God for forgiveness and life, and prepared their hearts for the person and work of Christ. During this song of great anticipation from Zechariah, understanding the ministry that his son was about to take on in his life, we come across some very compelling words that paint us the picture of the work that Christ would accomplish. And these words, I hope, are compellingly comforting to you this morning. So let's read verses 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet 
into the way of peace. Let's pray. God, as we come to your word, we certainly ask that you would do a good work, a comforting work in our hearts that we this morning would indeed experience your tender mercy. God, help us, we pray, to see how in Christ and Christ alone is our only hope of forgiveness, full, vast, free, forever. May we run to him through faith. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Because of the tender mercy of God, you and I, we can have hope in our lives right now. The hope that is oriented and fixed because of the forgiving work of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And in that, we have the hope of forgiveness. And this hope of forgiveness leads us out of a number of things that I hope is true, rings true for you this day. Whether initially, like for the first time ever in your life, or in a renewing kind of way for you. So the hope of forgiveness, first of all, leads us out of debt. Out of the debt and penalty of our sin. The hope of forgiveness leads us out of debt. We'll also see that it leads us out of darkness. The darkness that shrouds our hearts, our lives, our souls because of sin. And then thirdly, we'll see it leads us out of the most painful and inescapable reality of all. It leads us out of death. That's the hope of forgiveness for us this day. And I hope that resonates with you this morning. Let's ask God, together as we come to the Word, to disentangle our hearts from the twisted knots of debt and darkness and death. Let us experience that hope that can only be found in the forgiving grace of our God. So out of debt... We are led out of debt. Again, verses 77 and the beginning part of 78. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. The forgiveness of their sins. Which means a remission from penalty. That is a cancellation of the debt that God's intended purpose and promise for all of history is to bring about the remission of the penalty of sin from his people that at the very heart of salvation the saving work and grace and promise and purpose of God is the payment of a debt so let's ask ourselves a couple of questions First of all, what is forgiven? Well, our verse is very clear and very straightforward. It says their sins, the sins of God's people that he would redeem. And you might think, well, what is sin? I know it's bad. I know it's not a good thing, but, but what is sin? Well, there are so many helpful ways to understand sin. And so sin is anything That goes against the nature, character, works, ways, and word of God. Old language puts it like this. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. 
Sin is the rejection of and rebellion against God in thought, attitude, motive, word, and deed. Sin is always bent against God, always. It is in every corridor of our personhood. We can't escape our uh, we can't escape sin's corruption in our personhood. It's in all the thoughts, it's in all the motives, it's in all our affections, it's in our attitudes, it's in our actions, it's in all of us thoroughly. We can't escape it. And its penalty is a debt that we can never repay. Sin is an offense against a holy and perfect God. So the debt that is owed is not tied to the action done, but tied to the one in whom the action is against. It's against God of the cosmos, holy, perfect, and just. So therefore, it is a great offense. Let me put it in a silly way. If you owed your buddy or friend 20 bucks, that, that friend's probably not going to nag you to death until you pay up. He's probably going to say, hey, the next time we go out, you buy. But let's say you owed, I don't know, the IRS some money. There's a whole convoluted process that gets ever more expensive and soul crushing to deal with that expense. And sometimes it requires you to go to court, which then brings on the extra fun expense of lawyers. It just compounds in its expense and weightiness. Your buddy, your friend, the IRS, very different relationships with you. Now take Someone so perfect, there's not even the hint of shadow or sin in his very being. So otherly in every way. And we, no matter how great or small from our perspective, we reject and rebel against that one. The weightiness of our sin isn't just found in the attitude or the action or the motive or the thought or the word or the deed. But the weightiness of our sin is in who it's against. And therefore, it is a debt we could never repay. It truly is insurmountable. In fact, if you were to just say, you know what, clean break right now, today, this morning, I'm, I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing more good than bad in order to have a ledger that's a little bit more clean. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life each day making sure I do more good than bad. So that way, that way I'm not in debt, right? So you, you apply your family budget, right? You save more than you spend. That way you don't go circling down in the drain of debt. And maybe, just maybe, in the most hypothetical way, 
you manage to pull it off. The rest of your days, you, your ledger is more good than bad. Let's just hypothetically say you pull it off. What about all the days before this one? There's no way that you can pay back what is owed. The debt, the penalty, you can't endure. You cannot face. It is insurmountable. This is a heaviness our souls feel and know, even if we can't put thought or word to it. So I belabor that so that we feel the weight of it. Because God's promise and purpose wrapped up in the person and work of Christ was to bring about our forgiveness of that penalty and debt. How then is it forgiven? It is forgiven in the person and work of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist's life was tied directly to the person and work of Jesus. He prepared and pointed to the one who would make an end of all our sin. And how then does God forgive this debt of sin? Does God just simply ignore it? Does he pretend it doesn't exist? No. What is even more extraordinary is that God pays for this debt. God pays for this penalty. He doesn't just sweep it away in this sort of enabling, wealthy parent way of like, covering for their kid who constantly goes wayward. No, he takes on all of the penalty of his wayward kids. And he pays it in full, in full measure. Nothing left behind. No small percentage. No interest rate. No nickel or dime. You're not nickeled and dimed by God's grace and mercy. He pays it in full. That is how it is forgiven. I love Colossians chapter 2, 13 and 14, speaking to this payment system that God is endeavored to fulfill. And it says these words, having forgiven us all our trespasses, not most, not some, not many, not much, but all of our trespasses. How? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There was no escape. It was insurmountable, and you were on the hook for it. And you were going to lose. But God paid it in full. How? This he set aside, nailing it, paid in full to the cross. Nailing it there. There, Christ, taking that perfect life that he lived in our place and dying a death in our place to pay a debt that we could never pay and to pay it in full, every single ounce of it. Staggering. The staggering weight of our penalty is overwhelmed by the staggering grace of of our God to pay in full what we owed. This leads me to another question. And maybe the question that you would have too. Why? Why Have you ever thought about it? Why would God do this? 
Why would he do this? For people who reject him and rebel against him, who say, you're not enough. I want this pleasure. I want this possession. I want this power. I want this notoriety. I want this life that I feel like I should get. So I'm going to rebel and reject you, God. Why does he do this? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Staggering that God's affection for miserable and afflicted people sunk under the weight of their sin moves God into action to rescue them. Amazing. Tender mercy. The tender mercy of our God. The word tender, fun word. It's the same word for bowels or intestines. That's great. That sounds delicious. <laughs> but it, it, it's a metaphor that means the deepest place or the deepest place of affection. Back in the days of the Bible's composition, the Greeks used this same word to convey more volatile passions like anger coming deep from within. But the Hebrews used this word to convey tender affections, especially kindness and compassion. And so from the deepest place of God, if you will, will, metaphorically speaking, from the deepest level of a perfect and holy and righteous, eternal, infinite God, His deepest affections for you come out to you as mercy to bring about your forgiveness from sin. His affections for you from the deepest place Move into action, and that's what we see with the word mercy. Mercy is the kindness toward the miserable and afflicted joined with a desire to relieve them. That God moves into action to relieve the debt and penalty that weighs your soul to hell. From the deepest place of his affection for you. He's not obligated to do this. He wants to do this. Staggering. Do you want to show deep level affection and kindness to people who wrong you all the time? Do you? God, who would have every right in any court at the highest of levels, divine, human, all of them combined would win every court case against us, every single one of us, and you would not lose a single one. From the deepest place of his affection, moved to pour out his mercy on us. Sometimes we experience hard things in this life that callous our hearts. We experience hard things in this life either brought on by our own actions and the consequences that circle around it or by the actions of others because we know we live in a sinful, broken world. And so those hearts of ours get calloused 
And in that calloused sort of position, we project wrongly about God. We just assume God is like everything else that we've experienced in this life. Harsh, hard, mean, exacting, uncaring. And we miss why we have this cross. We miss the whole point of the person and work of Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, living in time and space, doing what we could never do, taking on what we did do, overcoming enemies we could never defeat. We miss the fact that all of that is undergirded and and supported and flowing from the fact that God has tender mercy for us, for you, right here. Not us, collectively, nameless, faceless, collective group. So you, insert your name right there. God has tender mercy for your name. Staggering. David knew this, and and so in a moment of great brokenness over his own sin, that... Brought to, the, brought to the end of life other people and brought wreckage into lives of other people into an entire nation. How about that? How about your sin being so bad it brings wreckage to not just your life and the lives of others, but to a whole nation? Had one hope and one hope alone. And we know those words because they start off Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. He doesn't bring some ledger before God and say, see here, God, you said I was a man after your own heart. That should outweigh all this other stuff I've done. No, he has no ledger. All he has is an appeal to the mercy of God, who has it in full measure, full overwhelming measure. The hope of forgiveness is that it leads us out of debt because of God's tender mercy. He pays it in full. Not only does it lead us out of that debt, but it also leads us out of darkness. It leads us out of darkness. The hope of forgiveness leads us out of darkness. Verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness. Who sit in darkness. And here, not only do we know that out of debt means a remission from penalty, out of darkness means a release from prison. A release from prison. The rescue of salvation is from the darkness of sin. It teaches us some things, that the very nature of sin is darkness. The moral and spiritual and emotional environment of sin is blanketed in darkness. And it's, it's get this, is that, is that me? Yes, it is. Sorry. I don't know who else it would be. <laughs> but if you're out there, a little clicker, knock it off. I was loose back here, sorry. So the nature of sin is darkness. 
to get it, and let's make sure we get the sense of this, all right? It's not that we got the wrong answer on a test, or we had a whole bunch of wrong answers on a test, but that wrongness in us is a very present darkness, you didn't forget some stuff about God and like, oh man, I forgot about that, God. It, the very thing about our hearts is darkness. And this darkness is also a dungeon. It's a, it's a dungeon. It is a harsh place in the dark, cold, with stale air. It's miserable. It's suffocating. It's, it's a bad place very nature of sin is a bad place filled with darkness. I love Psalm 107. I encourage you to read it. It's a lengthy psalm, but it goes through different categories of that rebellion and rejection of God and the way that it it brings wreckage into our hearts and the way that it changes the way we look at life and live it out. There are different stanzas that talk about that from different angles of life. And Psalm 107 verses 10 and 11 say these words, Some, in that rejection and rebellion, sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God. Do you feel trapped, shackled, chained in the dark dungeon of your sin? And hear that question carefully because some of us do feel darkness. We oftentimes feel Psalm 88 where darkness is our only friend. And some of us in this room may feel that because we have struggles mentally or emotionally and we find ourselves in the dark often. And we don't know why even. So please hear this question very carefully. I'll ask it again. Do you feel trapped, shackled, chained in the dark of a dungeon of your sin? Your sin. Sometimes the things that we feel that put us in dark places aren't directly tied to our sinning. It may point to things that are broken in us. So please hear me carefully say that. Now the other side of that coin is some of us need to realize that there are things in our lives that are the result of our sin and they are the kinds of things that shackle us in the dark. And so, do you feel the moral, spiritual, emotional darkness sinking you down into despair? The good news of this person and work of Jesus Christ is that The hope of forgiveness leads you out of that dark. And it shows us that the nature of God's tender mercy is light. If the nature of sin is darkness, the nature of God's tender mercy is light. Because of the tender mercy of God, light shines forth in the darkened dungeons of our hearts. And get this. It can be painful at first because we've been sitting in the dark so long that the light hurts. 
Have you ever done that? You sat in the dark and then somebody turned on the light and you're like, ah, I'm melting. But when we are sitting in the dark morally, emotionally, spiritually, because of our sin, the light of God's mercy can be so bright it hurts, but that hurt gives way to release, freedom, rescue. The darkness that once felt so suffocating is whisked away, chased away by the light of God's tender mercy. The pain gives way to release from the dungeon. And one last thing here. Don't lose sight of the proximity of the light. It's on us. It's on us. The the light shines on those who sit in the dark. That Psalm 107 continues on in verse 14. He brought them out of darkness. He, God, by his tender mercy, brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, death and burst their bonds apart. God enters into our dark with a light that is incorruptible and brings our release. Many of you probably know the old hymn, And Can It Be? There's a great, great verse in it that relates well to this visual that we get about God's tender mercy and the hope of forgiveness and leading us out of the dark. Wesley, the author of the hymn, put these words, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon Flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Again, why? Because of the tender mercy of God. The hope of forgiveness leads us out of debt, leads us out of darkness, and ultimately leads us out of death. That we would be a restored people. The <clears throat> restored people. Look at the rest of verse 79. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. So opposite of darkness and death is the way of peace. So opposite of death is this life that is lived out on the way of peace that can only be found in Christ. That the restoration of salvation is ultimately life with God, not despairing unto death. That it is life with God. This aim of salvation is our peace. There are two dynamics of peace, by the way, that the tender mercy of God brings. First is the peace that we have with God. That, that we are reconciled and restored. That the debt has been paid. We have been released from prison. We have been brought back to life. Restored relationship. Where the guilty verdict is no longer our burden. Just life with God. That's peace. 
the way of peace, but it is also peace in our hearts that we experience in this life, that the penalty and darkness of sin no longer weigh our hearts down. That doesn't mean the absence of sin. It means the power of sin has been broken and the penalty of sin has been paid. And the presence of sin is now being fought because we have a God who has tender mercy for us. And so we experience peace in our hearts, in our lives right now, so that if you are not clinging to Christ, then you're not clinging to your only hope of peace with God. And in this actual life that's filled with hardship and struggles and challenge and darkness and despair, God declares peace upon us, and that peace settles down into our hearts and into the experience of our lives. And just so that we are clear, our passage says that the greatest obstacle to that peace, death, is also overcome by the one who would bring about God's tender mercy and our salvation. We know that the ultimate payment of sin is death. Death being separation from God. Death physically felt and spiritually experienced For all eternity, separation from God, that is the ultimate payment of sin. That is the ultimate darkness of sin, death. We know that because in Genesis chapter 2, we see that when God was instructing the people of God to follow him, trust him, cling to him, he says, when you don't do that, in that day that you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. The Romans chapter 6, 23 gives us a very quick synopsis of the nature of that. And it says this, the wages of sin is death. That's the remaining obstacle. And the hope of forgiveness is that God leads us out of death. Jesus took on not just our penalty and not just our darkness, but took on death and came out the other side alive. And all those who are in him and with him through faith come out the other side alive with him. Restored to peace. This way of peace, this life of peace. Not despairing unto death but alive unto God because of the tender mercy of our God to sinners such as us. This is hope for our lives now until the very end when your lungs stop filling with air and your heart stops beating and when your faith moves to sight, the hope of forgiveness leads us out of debt, out of darkness, out of death. There's an old catechism, which was like a Q&A that the historical church would use to help us build up our understanding of the faith. The Heidelberg Catechism, first question, is fantastic. We've often recited that together here in our corporate worship over the years, and it's a fitting place to be reminded as we close our time The question 
that this catechism opens with. What is your only comfort in life and death? Your only comfort, your only hope in life and at death. Take in this answer. That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. The hope of forgiveness is only found and experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. Trusting his life, his death, his resurrection, the very core of our Easter season, brings to us a hope that leads us out of debt, out of darkness, out of death, into his marvelous light. Let's pray. God, in light of all that we have considered this morning, my prayer is quite simple. May each and every one of us experience your tender mercy and the forgiveness of our sins. May we all experience the joy of being led out of debt, rescued out of darkness, restored out of death. God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.